Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hola, socios. Hola, equipo. My name is Neil. I'm Liam. This is John Nurnberger from Kansas City, Missouri, USA. Maury Field near Brisbane in Queensland. Edinburgh. Barcelona. And I'm a socio. I'm a socio. I'm a socio of The Big Interview. Hi, this is Taylor from Shenzhen, China. And I am a socio of The Big Interview. My favorite episodes are the weekly insights from La Liga. Living out in China, I can't keep up with the league I love because of the kickoff times and the fact that it's just not covered out here. It's not very popular, which is very, very sad. And Graham and his insight really helps me to stay in touch with the league I love and the football I love. Hello, this is the big interview of the World Cup. I'm Chris Tate, a late substitution from Backpage Press for the final. Think we Mario Goetze in 2014. On the other line is regular starter Graham Hunter. Graham, after several weeks of excellent football, high drama, thrills, spills and everything in between, we have arrived finally at the Luzhniki Stadium to witness former world champions France take on comparative underdogs Croatia. It's a compelling tie which pitches this formidable French squad of Mbappe, Griezmann, Varane et al against the Croatian side which has been on the ropes at times during the knockout stages but which has found a way to win and make it to Moscow. And you've identified midfield as a key battleground tomorrow. Tell us why. We're talking about a really, really important area of the pitch. And I think one of the guys from this group that's probably carried the most surprise is Pogba. Because Pogba polarises people. And he can't help doing that. I know that around um, Carrington's training ground, there are many people, players or staff, who, who wish he would just shut up. His constant shouting, his constant singing, the noise around the place when he's there. Uh, there's a Manchester United players WhatsApp group of current and former players. And, you know, I was with one of them before a particular game this season. And I know that Rooney saw Pogba's haircut and, and t- what's up to the group. What's this all about? Now, when I talk about Pogba polarising opinion... My voice isn't critical, I'm just reporting that. And yet, if you contrast that um, image of him, that opinion of him, because it's not just an image, I use that word badly, it's, it's a fact that some people think that of him and think that some people continue to think that he hasn't been 
sufficiently impressive in Mourinho's version of Manchester United. And you look at what he's been able to do in this team and the way in which his presence in that spine. If you think about Lloris, who irrespective of whether he's the best goalkeeper in the world or not, has been the number one goalkeeper at this tournament. And, 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 and that's saying something because opposite him is Subasic, who's won penalty shootouts, who's been pretty reliable throughout. Varane and Umtiti are centre-half partnership of the tournament. Pogba and Kante in the middle are, again, in, if you talk about efficacy rather than beauty being in the eye of the beholder and whether you want to go with Modric and Rakitic or whether you want to praise Hazard and De Bruyne, it doesn't matter where you want to go, really. Pogba and Kante have given a version of themselves as a, as a duo, which is far above what they came into the tournament carrying as a as appreciation or as a verdict on their joint skills. And then up front, Griezmann might have left people thinking, you've got more flair in you. Yet his goals and assists make him a vital member of this team and ahead of many more, more fetid players around this tournament. And then there's Mbappe who has a, still has a chance of winning both the, the so-called golden boy, best young player, and golden ball. And therefore, if you look at that spine, that's an extraordinary spine of the team. And Bogba is the standout, Chris, because I mean, he said it himself. I've been listening to his words over the last couple of days. And Pogba said on Friday, I play this midfield role for France now and I'm judged on that. Plus, I'm judged on whether I produce assists or goals. Against Italy in the pre-tournament friendly, I was criticised for doing exactly what I'm doing right now in this position, but no longer am I being criticised for that. Defending isn't my strong point. I'm not N'Golo Kante, but I've done this. I've assumed this role with pleasure. I've grown in my maturity. Antoine Griezmann talks me through my positional play on the pitch, and that helps me. The team has made me grow. There's all kinds of clues in there in that until now, I don't think Pogba really thought that this type of defending was his job, never mind his strength. And I'm not in Gola Kante. He sees a clear difference between how Kante plays and how he wants to play because he's expressive, because he's got brilliant individual technical skills, because he sees himself as a long passer, as somebody who should arrive and score goals in and around the box more often than he's doing right now. So he thinks he's made a, a gigantic sacrifice. I know that there are French senior players and ex-players who think that Pogba has deliberately toned down the the hairstyles, the, the marketing gizmos, the, the things that draw attention to him and help his profile and have led to some people being critical of that versus his contribution on the pitch at Manchester United. And and your respect grows for a guy of that age who says, no, I know that this is the time to be serious, to be the footballer. The marketing comes second. The marketing will roll off the back of a World Cup winner's medal. And I like very much, I think it's well, well known that Griezmann and he are really tight. But the idea that Griezmann, who's not the epitome of positional play because he believes he can play everywhere, but has been under tuition now, for several seasons from Cholo Simeone and has been playing in an Atletico team where positional play, how strictly uh, disciplined you are, but when you press, when you have to run back, when you're left free, that he's been giving tuition to Pogba, I think is a very interesting lesson about what's changed in him. And, you know, we look at Modric and Rakitic. Rakitic is about to play his 71st game of the season, more than anybody else um, in this season, not more than Paulinho played from... 
January 2017 non-stop until now. But for this actual physical season, nobody's played more football than Ivan Rakitic. And he looks as if it's nothing to him. He isn't looking tired. I would contest, and I'm not being contrary, that while Luka Modric is is in line to win the, the golden ball, and many people are taking a chance to honour somebody who they've appreciated but not spoken out about before, I would argue that there have been patches in this tournament where he's where he has struggled a little bit with the number of games he's had to play, although he missed, you know, a third of the season for Madrid either being rested or injury. I think his brilliance has shone through in parts of games, particularly as games have gone on. And I think it's right that people talk about his vision, his technique, his ability to master a game, dominate a game, dominate its direction, dominate its pace, to open things up. He's got a brilliant, calm head. He's a tough, mean competitor. All these things are true, but they've been true for several years. And I don't think right now that he's invulnerable. And therefore... If you look at the age, energy expenditure and performance level of the two three-man midfields, I think that it's there for France to come out on top. It is not an automatic that they'll come out on top. It, it just isn't. There is such a minor difference between the two. Absolutely. And I think before we assess another area of the team, I want to just work my way back down the vertebrae of the France team. We spoke a lot about Pogba. Obviously, the sense that he's growing in maturity was really interesting, given the perception, the wider perception of him and when he plays for Manchester United. But the man alongside him, or rather just behind him, N'Golo Kante, uh, reports this week, certainly yesterday, that Barcelona were an interested party in him. Yeah, it's factual that um, he is a player that they think is not only athletic enough, um, enough of a ball winner, enough of a high-level competitor, enough of an international quality footballer. They think he is a far better footballer than is appreciated. And they see him as somebody whose skill set can compensate the fact that they don't want Sergio Busquets at his age having to sprint even... 20, 25 metre doggy runs, let alone having to turn and sprint from the halfway line to his own penalty box repeatedly through a season. And they look at the way in which... Um, I, I can I can sum it up by saying they believe Kante is their Champions League winning player. And therefore, the fact that Eric Abidal, who is a much more competent overall technical director of the... Uh, squad than they've had for some considerable time. The fact that he is now in charge of affairs like that. He's not out and out transfer market director, but he is in charge of the guiding strategy of who they buy, who they release, who they develop. He is the he is the godfather of these decisions. You can understand why Kante, even ahead of Azard, is somebody that they want to add to Arthur, who they brought from Gremio. They have players like Andre Gomez and Rafinha that they want to trade out. There will be more that they that they trade out. I, I cannot understand why Chelsea, with a new manager right in the door, who feels that he wants a similar brand of football to how Barcelona play, how on earth they could betray a new manager like Sarri and, and sell a guy like Kante for any money. 
So I, I, I can't understand, well, there is substance in Barcelona wanting him and he is the missing element or a player of his type is the missing element for this current Barcelona generation. I, don't, I just don't see how it happens, Chris. That's not a matter of fact. That's my opinion. I, I, I find it hard to imagine the manner in which Chelsea, their owner or their new coach and Marina Graskayova could be persuaded. Let's look at the, the, the men leading the line uh, for these two teams, Graham. Mandzukic, I know, is someone you've mentioned in a previous episode, is someone who's won you over. I mean, what, what is it that, that Mario Mandzukic has done which has, uh, which has won your heart? The thing that didn't endear him to me was that it's clear that there's a very fine balance in him between belligerence and physical aggression and his ability to impose himself on certain situations because of his height, his um, willingness to battle, his his speed over certain distances. These things, I think, were standout qualities. And when I went off him a little bit was that what he clearly wouldn't subject himself to was Pep Guardiola's will. At Bayern Munich, he either couldn't or chose not to follow tactical instructions. He didn't like it. He is a lone wolf player who wants to be able to find areas of the pitch or find opponents to to bully, to take advantage of. And I, and I mean these in positive terms. These are not pejorative words I'm using, but I think they're an accurate description of how he plays. And players like that, it doesn't mean that they always lack the, the nous or even the discipline to follow the instructions of a, a hawkish coach who says, this is what I want, rather than me seeing you, player A, and saying, okay, I'll adapt my system to your qualities. You're here. I'm the boss. This is the way we're playing. You have to adapt. Now, over a season, Mandzukic either chose not to listen or couldn't handle that discipline. Or maybe because Pep Guardiola is is genuinely a, a pretty hard guy to work for, unless you're a disciple, a proper disciple, they, they didn't really get on. And at the end of the season, I was left with this a, a little bit less respect for Mandzukic because from my version of things, every footballer of quality who gets the chance to work under Pep Guardiola should grasp at it because irrespective of the, the, the trophies you get or the wage rises you get, it's going to be an experience from which you can learn, not just for your playing career, but whatever you go on and do later in life because the man is a genius. Like him? That's up to you. Curse him when you get home. That's up to you to pay attention. You know, join the revolution. And instead, you know, he was anti the revolution. So what's changed for me is that this is a guy who... I don't know, Chris, whether a little bit of what he hated or, or, or disliked or wouldn't sign up for at Bayern Munich has, you know, snuck in by osmosis. Maybe there was a little bit of benefit for his year at Bayern Munich under Pep Guardiola. But at any rate, if you look back at what he's been able to do and when he performs, there he is now in a World Cup semi-final, having been, as you put it off air, clattered by, by Jordan Pickford in, in what was a marvellous moment between old-style centre-forward and old-style keeper. And Mandzukic takes a long time to get off the canvas. You know, the count is at seven, and yet it's him who's nippy enough to get in, to finish. 
So before the semi-final, I said that I was altering my view and my respect was growing. What he does keep on doing is producing, you know, at the really crucial moments. And that makes him very, very frightening for France. It makes him very, very dangerous. If you're rooting for the underdog, or if you've got money on Croatia saying, I believe all the things they said after the England game. I believe that they are in a golden moment, that they're not tired. Well, if you believe, your gospel preacher, your Billy Graham, your evangelist is Mario Mandzukic. And from suspending belief to something which seems far easier to imagine, Kylian Mbappe scoring in the World Cup final. French striker has three goals in Russia thus far and has clearly emerged as a primary threat in Didier Deschamps' team, Graham. I, I absolutely adore watching him. Mbappe is a phenomenon, Chris. And I, I've been watching him. He's, he's given a really interesting interview to his own federation, um, a video interview where it's funny, he, he talks about tiredness far more than I think he was aware of doing. For example, he, one of his quotes is, I've always said that the World Cup is so special that this will be the match of my life. My life to come, everything. We have to give everything, but we also need to avoid being overcome by stress. So there was a little mention of, of stress that wasn't um, necessarily needed. He, he talks about exhaustion. So there's a, a word where he says, um, I think it's 50-50 this final. If you really want to analyse it in detail, then there's the tiredness factor because Croatia have played lots of extra time. But for me, that won't matter. For me, when you play a final, you forget about being tired. It's all about your mentality. But let's say it'll be 51-49 because of their fatigue. There's really not much in it. Then he goes on to say, when this tournament finishes, I think the degree to which we're exhausted will really sink in. And he says, we want to continue our upward trajectory. I think we're steadily improving and we'll need to carry on as we've been doing because there's just one more big game to go. We have to give everything and come away with no regrets. Even if we reach a stage where we don't have much left to give, we'll have to give whatever we've got. And if anybody is totally exhausted, he can go off and someone else can come on and give everything. We're all in this together. And, you know, Mbappe is 19. He still looks like he's got electric eels in his boots. His pace is devastating. He didn't drop his level at all in their semi-final. Towards the end of the game against Belgium, he was still doing clever things. John Collins's verdict that this is a guy who's at his age ahead of Thierry Henry, I think is, is spot on. And I think that makes him utterly remarkable. And whatever I get out of Sunday night's game, I'll be watching Mbappe. I'll be noting down and remembering that I was lucky enough to be at a World Cup where he was playing. I just want to watch him. He's the beating heart of what football does when it renews itself and you see a generation of all-time greats moving on, saying goodbye, and then, bam, there's Kylian Mbappe. And you're like, yeah, you can stick your Neymar in a closet. You know, put him in the kit bag and let him dive around in his house. We're going to take a little break now. When we come back, we're going to talk Deschamps and Graham will give his big match prediction. And we're back. Graham, you spoke earlier about some of the stellar names in this France team, but what of their manager, Didier Deschamps? You've interviewed him before. What did you learn? When I interviewed him, what was emerging is something that has become clearer now, which is that he's not a figure who unites everybody, he's, unites his, those who assess him from afar. I think that he has always believed in, 
efficacy. He's always believed in winning. He's not a doer. He's not about catenaccio. It's not about squeeze the life out of the game at any costs. But he, but much, much more than entertain. What he wants to do is is win, and I think that there's a very direct correlation between the type of footballer he was and how he coaches. Often there isn't. Often there's a real notable difference that that some coaches feel completely freed by changing what they were as a footballer into how they want their game to be played. And that's that's lovely to watch. But Deschamps almost, you know, you could join the dots and say there's a direct line from Deschamps, the midfield leader, and Deschamps, what he did with the ball, what he did positionally, what he did to stop opponents who were dangerous, and Deschamps, the coach. I think that if you were looking for a French team that represented the flair that you think the individual players have and then see it as a collective, I, I think that was ignoring what Deschamps was like. And this is a direct quote. Deschamps told me, I think that leadership is something natural, something you're born with. At birth, some people are made to lead, some others are not. It can be developed, it can be worked on, but I think that in a team sport, the leader is automatically recognised by his colleagues. You can't wake up one morning and say, that's it, tomorrow I'll be a leader and a captain. You have to be acknowledged by your partners as a symbol of authority, of being aware. When I had to do it in different teams that I played for, I appreciated that fact. But to be a leader, it's important not to have personal problems, not to be unaware if you're going to play or not, not to have problems on the pitch, because it takes a lot of time to take care of the others, to take care of your teammates. That's my point of view. So that, that was him, you know, clearly as a, as a slightly younger coach. And he'd yet to reach these two finals, one of which, you know, he didn't steer properly. It wasn't his fault on the night that they lost, but maybe in the days between knocking Germany out in Euro 2016, where I've seen Umtiti saying, yeah, we thought we'd won the tournament. You know, there was an exuberance that maybe a little bit like Belgium, Brazil, to beat a giant when you're not the fancied team can take so much out of you or can leave you in a state of euphoria that isn't isn't conducive to being absolutely at your best in the final. Now, France played well enough to win the final two years ago, in my view. Made enough chances, hit the woodwork, really should have won it. And, and should not have conceded that goal to Eder that eventually made Portugal champions. But um, I think if you look at the development from Deschamps, originally a coach who did well at Marseille, as somebody who, as he talked about, is a natural leader, he's had to change. He's, he's patently had to get to grips with younger footballers, footballers who know of him but never played with him, never played against him, and who might now be in a position to say, oh, well, who's this little tin pot who's bossing me about? And Deschamps addressed the idea of how he'd have to alter his methods as his charges got younger. And he said, he told me this, I don't think there are different methods from one coach to the other. I think that there are different characters. Some coaches have more credibility or charisma than other players. I'm still a young coach. I'm coaching footballers who I played with or against. And the younger ones are a bit more difficult. I believe in the principle that the coach is very important, but the main actor is the player. They are the keys with their intelligence and it's up to them to choose what they do on the pitch. It's important to have a relationship based on confidence with the players. This means that I'm not their friend, I'm not their enemy, I'm with them, but if I have to be rough, I'll be tough on them. If I have to support them, I'll do that as well. So there are values of confidence and respect. They have my respect and confidence, but I expect them to give it back to me. 
It's not always the case, but I want them to be more responsible, some more than others, because being in the French League, it's harder for the younger ones to gain the right experience. And this is how I run my dressing room. Now, for example, it allows us to pinpoint, Chris, the fact that, you know, Karim Benzema is not here. And Benzema remains a footballer of elite quality that in uh, 4-3-3 instead of Giroud, for example, France would probably be the team that you wanted to see. Benzema opens things up. The idea of Griezmann and Mbappe playing off Benzema, to me, is catnip. For him to have come this far and done without Benzema and to have endured over the last couple of years Benzema saying, this is racist, this is unfair, this is personal. And you look across at Croatia and Dalic saying to Kalinic at the beginning of the tournament, you can go home. He refused to come on and it was said that what, what he manifested was that he had a bad back. And what is clear did happen is that because he felt he was better than Kramaric and because he complained previously that this was, you know, an indignity for him, when he was asked to come on against Nigeria, I'm certain it was, and he refused to, he was sent home. And I think that that is, you know, an extraordinary thing um, for any coach to take a risk on doing. It's worked out brilliantly. There's no question that with tiredness and injury, maybe he could have been the player to make a clearer difference against England. He might be the player who, out of the blue, like Eder for Portugal, could have won the final. But as far as his behaviour was concerned, it was clear that Zlatko Dalic felt the same way as Didier Deschamps feels in general about managing a dressing room, respect, responsibility, giving confidence and getting confidence back. And it's clear that Deschamps, over the last couple of years, there was a reason why he was firm about Benzema and not one of his players seems to hold it against him, just as it's clear that Croatia closed ranks around the coach when it was, you know, it was evident that Kramaric starting was the thing that made Kalinic say, I'm not having this. And it was a direct challenge to a coach who'd only come in in October 17. It was a direct challenge, just as Benzema has called Deschamps out publicly time and time again. And in each case here, the coach has won and stand on the verge of saying, dangling to Kalinic or dangling to Benzema, here's the World Cup medal you could have won. In a bullseye fashion, look what you could have won. And I like that. I like that very much indeed. OK, so if those two aren't going to end up as a World Cup winner tomorrow, who is? It's prediction time. I certainly can't see past France. I think they're by far the favourites to reclaim the trophy they lifted in '98. If I'm honest, I'd like to see Croatia win it. I'm a sucker for the underdog. How do you see this playing out? Whether luck exists on its own as a rogue element, a little sprite, a little gremlin that chooses, sits you know, somewhere invisibly hovering over a final and says, yeah, I'm going to screw this person's night up tonight. Or whether mentality enters into that, whether the ones who are hard and nerveless and who surf the adrenaline rather than going under once in a wave of adrenaline and thinking, oh, I can still get up, I can, oh, one nil down. I, I think that's a gigantic element of Sunday night's game because there will be players, and probably it'll be unexpected to them and to us, who think about World Cup finals they've seen before, who think about their wife and kids, 
who think about the headlines. They all lie when they say they don't read, we don't think, it doesn't influence. That's not true. And, and I don't know who it will be, but there will be players in those dressing rooms in the Luzhniki who are surprised by the fact that even though they had a great night's sleep, they're suddenly crapping themselves. Or even though they had a bad night's sleep, they're piled full of energy and they're thinking, I'm going to dominate, this is my playground. I'm going to stamp my name all over this World Cup final. And an element of that, I think, has to be the supporting cast. Because some players will find the, the adrenaline rather than the miles they've run. And I think nobody has run more than Modric in this tournament, I don't think. And I'm not talking only about Luka Modric, although I, will, I think he needs to be watched hawkishly over the first 20, 25 minutes because he's tending at that age to be a player who needs time to warm up and who players can run off. But the supporting cast are the ones that, if used correctly by the coach, can pull things back into focus, can bring energy and can bring, I'm not nervous because I hadn't had to start and here's my chance, I can win this back. And if I look at Nzonzi, who Deschamps has used a couple of times, if I look at um, Tolisso, for example, who was outstanding in winning the game against Uruguay, if you think about um, Mendy and Kimpembe, or indeed, I, I think both of them, Sidibe, he, any of those three would have thought they could start at full-back. Probably thought they were starting at full-back. Lemar and Dembele, although young, are, are genuinely extraordinary footballers. And if I look at the way in which um, Croatia's supporting cast is depleted by one because Kalinic has been sent home, already 11 v 11 France have more quality. There is, there's, in my view, there's no argument about the fact that France have more experience, more quality. And then I look at who will Dalic be reaching for? Duje Kaleta Kar, Tin Jed Vaj, Lovri Kalinic, Bradaric, Bjaka, Badelj. Right across the board, you see players who it might be their day. They may be en route to proving to us that in two or three seasons, we'll be talking about them in exactly the same way as we talk about Nzonzi or Tolisso or even Lamar. But I'm not sure that's true. I think Dalic has got fewer resources on the pitch or on the bench. And the brilliance he showed in unpicking England and understanding their flaws, that's something that he's got a hard task in reproducing against France. Like you, I think France justify their favourites tag. And therefore... France, world champions by the end of tomorrow night. Croatia, go and prove us wrong. And that's our show. Graham, thank you as always, and I'll speak to you after the final. For now, those of you who have been listening to these podcasts can support us by leaving a review on iTunes or subscribe to become a member of our supporters trust at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Also, if you're the shaving kind, Gillette has sponsored our show right through the World Cup and you can get £4 off your blades at trygillette.com forward slash big interview. Enjoy the final. I really hope you're enjoying these World Cup shows. We've got huge plans for next season, but we do need your help to make them happen. Go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter right now to become a socio, a member, to join us, to support us. You'll get an extra big interview every month, plus lots of other bonus content. Last season, our members got nine exclusive big interviews, including Rafa van der Vaart, Troy Dini, and Roberto Di Matteo. So, go to patreon.com 
forward slash Graham Hunter. Do it now, please.